It's great to see everybody here. I think everyone probably knows who I am, but just in case, I'm Josh McGuire. And uh, if it's uh, not been obvious, there's been a series of men who have been giving different messages, filling in until Nick uh, Weber comes in mid-June. So uh, today is uh, is my turn again. I'm glad to be talking about Hebrews 11.1. So if we could pass out some Bibles so that everyone can make sure to have the scripture in front of them. That'd be great. And on the Bibles that we're passing out, Hebrews 11.1 is on pages, or actually page uh, 1007. Before we start, let's pray though. So if you, if everyone could just bow with me, let's, let's ask this time to be blessed. Father, right now I feel inadequate for this task. I feel like um, a child, like the, the child that came with just like, you know, just two pieces of fish and, and bread. And I just pray right now that you take this meager offering that I have and break it. Lord, um, let everything that's not truth fall away and multiply everything that's good and wholesome and that will build up the body to feed us all. Father, I just pray that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the evidence for the things that are unseen so that we can have a foundation to lean on to do the things that you want us to do. So, Father, be with me, make me clear, make me accurate, open the eyes and hearts of everyone who's listening. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Why did I choose Hebrews 11.1? It describes a very important part of my spiritual life. I don't know about you, but my my spiritual life tends to be cyclic. Uh, There's ups and downs with generally an an upward trend. But every once in a while, there's an inflection point where God does something extraordinary. And I move from one level to another. Now, that's only happened a couple of times in my life. But this verse describes one of those times let me, let me paint the, the picture for, for what I'm talking about. This was a, a three-year intense struggle in my faith over whether God existed. So imagine this. I'm a, uh, a boy and then a, a young man growing up in Texas and Oklahoma, one of the most conservative places in the United States, right? Everybody goes to church. You know the difference between right and wrong. You are conservative politically. And you take this this man, this young man, and then you move him across the country to Berkeley, California. (laughs) 
So that that's about as far from uh, Oklahoma as as you can get, and you can imagine I was feeling under attack. Everything that I stood for uh, was being attacked. You know, Berkeley, of course, liberal politics. You know, it's there is no right and wrong. You you determine it yourself. You know, th- there are all kinds of beliefs. Humanism, Hinduism, you know, Islam. How do you know yours is right? So all these questions were being bubbled to the surface. The attack on my spiritual life was intense. And it really was focused on this one question. Does God exist? And it came up in a lot of different contexts. Evolution versus creationism. Again, how do you know what you believe is right? There's a lot of people who believe things. How do you know yours is right? So it was a dark time for me, a very dark time. And there were several months where I actually tried to live as if there were no God. But I did win that war. And I want to talk a little bit about the winning and then the results of of the winning. But before we get to that, let's turn to the scripture. A little background here. Hebrews uh, was written by, well, we don't know. It was an anonymous author. And it was written to the Jews of the time who believed in Jesus. And chapter 11 is focused on the Jewish heroes of faith and all the things that they did in faith to follow God. But there's something special about this chapter. Verse, the first verse outlines what faith is. And this is kind of unique in the Bible. And I think it's especially important for this chapter because all of those actions and all of the pleasing of God that follows in chapter 11 is dependent on this first verse. Having that type of faith is crucial for everything else in the rest of the verse. So let's read it. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And when you read this verse, it seems pretty obvious. It seems easy to understand. I think it's very tempting to just gloss over it, to say, well, that means that you, you know, faith is really believing in the things that you hope for, strongly believing in the things that are not seen. But I think there's more. I think there is an objective piece to this. Yes, faith is belief. It has to be belief, but it's more than belief. There's something else. It's anchored in something outside ourselves, not just a subjective belief, but there is something objective a piece of evidence behind it that's driving it, that's giving us the strength to do all of these things that are in chapter 11. Uh, mere belief is not going to be enough when it's time to be sawn in two or when it's time to lead armies or when it's time to shut the mouths of lions. You need more. 
to lean on. So where do I get this objective piece? Well, I think it's helpful to look at two translations of this verse together. The first uh, is, if we could move to the next slide, the first is the ESV, and the second is the King James Version. And you'll notice that two of the words are translated differently. And these words are hard to translate, and they have a lot of meaning packed in. And so you get a different feel for from each of the, the versions. One says assurance, another says substance. One says conviction, another says evidence. Those are, those are very different words. So, so what's going on here? Well, let's look at the first word first, the word for assurance or substance. It's the Greek word hypostasis, and this is, the meaning of this Greek word is it's a structure, it's a, it's a substructure. It's a foundation. It's something that you can lean on that holds something else up. Uh, the, the, the substance of a thing. And I think of a floor. When you pull up those little wood panels on the floor, what do you see? You see the substructure. That's really what the floor is. That's what's holding you up. It's not those little thin you know, pieces of wood. It's the substance, and actually substance in, in Latin is standing firm. It's the, it's the thing that supports everything else. So that's what the Greek word is. And it's used five times in the New Testament, three times in Hebrews. So I thought it'd be helpful. Let's look at the other uses in Hebrews, starting with Hebrews 3.14. says, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence. This is the same word. Confidence, our foundation, firm until the end. So if you look at the, the, the Greek a little deeper here, when, when it's talking about holding fast to something, it really is like you're hanging on. For you know, dear life, you, you don't want that thing to go anywhere. You don't want to go anywhere. You're holding on to it. So you're, you're relying on it. And I have a picture there that you know, tries to get at this idea. It's actually a lighthouse surrounded by waves. And you can't really see it, but there's a doorway. And there's a little tiny dude right in the middle of the doorway. And I can guarantee he is holding on <laughs> to that foundation. He is holding firm to it. I think this this foundational aspect is clarified even better in another place in Hebrews one three. It says he, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of glo- of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, or his substance, or his standing firm, or his foundation, and. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So how does this make sense? When we're thinking about Jesus, what, what is Jesus? Jesus is not, he gave up his form as God, right? So, so the, the exact imprint is, is something else. And I think what this word is trying to convey, it's the, the substance, the essential foundation or the foundational F essence of God. You can see that 
import of meaning in the last half of the verse. It, it, it's talking about Jesus upholding the whole universe. So you've got this foundational imprint, right? And it's, it's talking about something you can lean on, something that holds something else up. And then the second half of the verse makes it even more explicit. And it says, he, Jesus, is upholding the universe with his power. So let's just tie that together um, in the next slide. There's a substance, a foundation that's part of this faith. Now, faith is a substance or, or foundation of these things hoped for. And there's a, there's a rock <laughs> that that uh, that you build upon. So, what about the other word, conviction or evidence? the The Greek word here is elinchos, and it's not found anywhere else in the Bible. So we've got to look outside to help us understand what it what it means. But in other Greek documents, it means a proof or a thing by which you test other things against. But it was translated conviction here. It, why why is that why is that wrong? Why should it be evidence and not conviction? Well, I think there is some problems with the translation conviction. In a few verses later, Hebrews 11.3, if you substitute conviction um, instead of faith in this first verse, I I think you run into some circular logic problems. So let's, let's just talk it through. If you say by conviction or strong belief, we understand or believe that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You have this issue. You have, by strong belief, we believe something, right? Your your belief is based on your strong belief. But what's under that? There's There's, there's nothing supporting it. But instead, if you use this idea of evidence, it makes more structural sense. By evidence, we believe that the universe was created by the word of God. We can see how that makes sense, right? You may be asking yourself, um, well, what is that evidence? And Hebrews 11 doesn't address it. I, I wanted to put in a little aside. That's at the bottom, the in red. I think that's what the answer is. It's in Romans, and I've I've cut some paste, uh, cut and pasted a little snippet there, but I'll read it. Romans 19:20 it says, "Because that which is known about God is evident among them, for God made it evident to them." So there's this evidence. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, these unseen things, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So the evidence, I think, that it's talking about in this particular verse is creation itself. How do we know that God, this unseen thing, made all things seen? Well, it's the existence of the seen thing. Creation cries out for a creator. So 
putting that that uh, kind of tangent um, to the side for now, let's look a little more about uh, the the word evidence. Let's let's think a little more about it. Uh, there are two ways to think about evidence. The first is when you when you want to to prove something, the proof of it is that it actually exists. Like this lectern, um, the proof that this lectern is is that it it is in front of me. The molecules are are there. You know, it's it's actually there in reality. That's one way to think about evidence. But the other way to think about evidence is the proof that this lectern is here is that I see it. I see it. We, we the, the, the phrase for this we use is like seeing is believing, right? I mean, that's what the evidence is. And I think that's what the evidence means in this verse. It's about the perception of the evidence. And that's supported by... A verse later in this chapter, Hebrews eleven thirteen. It's talking about the heroes of faith, and it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So this it, it's the 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 piece of faith was not based on receiving these promises. It was seeing the evidence of them. Our problem is not with the fact that the evidence doesn't exist. Our, our problem is with seeing the evidence. That's, that's our issue. And you know, this is throughout the, the whole Bible. I picked out a couple of verses that you know, just illustrate this. But in John 9, Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who uh, do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So this is something, that's our problem. We can't see. We need Jesus to help us see. And again, in Romans 11.8, Paul is quoting Deuteronomy to support his argument for why the Jews rejected Jesus. And he says that God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. So there's the, the issue is perception of the evidence, not the actual evidence itself. So let me summarize what I've talked about and, and put some of this together. If you take all the meanings we've explored around the words and, and put it back in the verse, it looks something like uh, the next slide. Um, yeah, now faith is the substance or foundation of things hoped for and the evidence or the perceiving of that evidence of things not seen. Faith is not just subjective. It's something that we can stand on. It has substance. It can, it can push back. It can hold us up when we lean on it. Subjective belief isn't enough to hold us up. Just, you know, just think about it. If you are weak, can you hold yourself up? It's not going to work. You need some, something outside yourself to lean on. 
that's what's required to do all these things in chapter 11. These are hard things. We're not up to the task if we just lean on our own belief. So if this objective piece is so important, uh, let's try it out. Let's take it for a spin. So what are some unseen things that are really important to perceive evidence for? Well, uh, Hebrews 11 has at least two suggestions that I wanted to talk about here. Uh, 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever comes to God must believe that one, he is, and two, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, these are two unseen things that I think a lot of Christians struggle with. And I already talked about the, the, a little bit about the first one and my struggle there. But let me finish that, that uh, story. My issue was, uh, does God exist? And I had a lot of different arguments that I, I worked through to try to establish that. But for me, it came down to the reliability of the New Testament. Because if the New Testament was true, then what it said was true, and it said that God existed. And that was good enough for me. But I still had some work to do. How did I know if the New Testament was true? Well, I think the, the key part of the New Testament, the whole center of the New Testament and the Bible is Jesus, right? Part of that was easy. I didn't doubt that Jesus existed or that Jesus was executed. Even extra-biblical sources acknowledge Jesus' his existence and his later execution, Jewish and Roman historians. That wasn't the issue. The, the issue, the crux of the issue, is whether he rose from the dead. That's the issue. If he rose from the dead, then he's God. And if he's God, he can maintain the New Testament scriptures perfectly. So, I had to think about that. <laughs> how, do you, how, do you, how do you find out if he rose from the dead? Well, where's the body? That was my issue. Where's the body? If the body was in the grave, it should have been produced. There, were, there are not any shrines. Shrines were very popular to holy men in the, at the time Jesus died. Nothing like that. Did the Romans steal the body? The Romans were trying to, to crush this cult of Christianity. They thought it was a scourge on the empire, right? They talked about how Christians drank blood and did all these horrible things. They didn't want Christianity to survive. They would have killed it and produced Producing Jesus' body would have done that. Well, what about the Jews? Did the Jews take the body? Well, that doesn't make sense either. I think the Jews probably hated Christianity more than the Romans did. And they wanted to prove that it was blasphemy. Producing Jesus would have done that. And even up to 100 years after uh, of Christ's death, the, the Christians and the Jews of that time were had debates. And the Jews never said that the body was in the grave or that you know they had the body. They said the disciples stole a body. So the body's still missing. 
So the question then goes to the disciples. Do the disciples have the body? And the, the issue here is that the disciples not only said that there wasn't anybody, they in fact said, oh, I, I saw Christ after he rose from the dead with my own eyes. And then they died for that witness. They suffered and died horrible deaths. Eleven of the twelve apostles. Now it's true that some people will die for a lie when they don't know it's a lie. But these men were dying for something that they saw with their own eyes. Now maybe, maybe one was crazy, right? Just, you know, hallucinated. But we're talking 11. And we're talking more than that. I'm just talking about the disciples. But the Bible says that more people were eyewitnesses and were, you know, suffered because of their witness. So it doesn't make sense. That's the evidence that I looked at. And, you know, it took me three years, believe it or not, to get to that point. But I concluded that the evidence supported that Christ rose from the dead. And if Christ rose from the dead, he's God. And God exists. So, I won the war. What, what, did that, what did that mean for me? Well, I took that step function, like I said, in my spiritual life. Uh, I was energized. I went to downtown Minneapolis every week to tell strangers about Jesus. I could choose Christ over sin because he was real. He was tangible. He was so there. Not everyone struggles with God's existence, though. Right? Some people, I don't know how they do it. They just like, oh, of course God exists. <laughs> it's, it's just there for them. Some people deal with the second issue, which is, is God a rewarder? of those who seek him. And the form that that takes is, will God reward my faith with salvation? Is my faith enough to be saved? Am I saved? Oh, Rochelle has struggled with this, and she's given me permission to tell some of that story. While we were in Minnesota... Uh, there were many, many months where Rochelle was not sure about her salvation. There seemed to be something wrong with her faith. It wasn't enough. She, she would ask God over and over again, you know, please save me. But there was always something missing, something wrong. She knew she had a sinful heart. Right? Like we all have our sinful heart and know it. But how could that sinful heart produce the faith that was needed to meet God's approval? So she didn't have any peace. And there was a long time of darkness in Minnesota. But there came a turning point in the war for her. And it was a conversation that we had about her salvation. So just imagine this with me. 
uh, this I'm I'm Josh. I am Josh, and uh, that's Rochelle over there. And I'm asking her um, whether she th- trusts God. I mean, she's she's wondering if she's safe. Well, well, do you trust God? Do you trust Christ? And Rochelle says, that is the issue. I don't know if I trust him. And, and I, I say, it's like any other person. You either trust him or you don't. And I think that conversation switched her focus. The focus should be on the object of the faith. Is Christ trustworthy? Is God worth trusting? Not on the subject of the faith, the person having the faith. Is my faith right? Because you can't answer that question. You can look at your faith and, and say, is this, is this faith strong enough? Well, I don't know. Who do I ask? I guess I ask myself, is this faith strong? There's, there's no way to answer that question. The question is, you look to, to Christ and say, is he worth trusting? Is he trustworthy? Can I trust him? Part of her determination, part of the evidence that she used to think about this was, what has Christ done? What has Christ done for her? What has Christ done for you? You know, he left glory, right? He came down here to suffer with us, a man of sorrows. And then, while we were yet sinners, just like we, we uh, uh, read earlier, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave everything he could for you. Do you trust him? He didn't spare anything. Everything that he could give, he gave to you. Would you trust a person like this? Well, yes. Yeah. And that's the conclusion that Rochelle reached. So what did that look like for for her? Um, It was peace. She could put that struggle in the past and move forward, grow spiritually, and start to do hard things, including moving to California from Minnesota, giving up all the things that she had in Minnesota. Why? Because she knew that God was her rewarder and her reward. It wasn't the other things she had. She could counsel Leah through her sister, through drug abuse, jail, prison, and tell Leah that God was better. He was a rewarder. Because she knew it to be true. She could finally give up the foster kids and not be destroyed because they weren't her reward. God was her reward. God was her rewarder. So just because you've, you've won the, the war, though, doesn't mean that battles won't come, right? All these thoughts, they do come back to us. <laughs> Uh, but they're different. Because now that the war has been won, you have that evidence, that victory that you can bring to the battles. And they no longer have that sway over you. It's no longer that soul-wrenching torment, that, that, that maelstrom of confusion. 
No, it's it's more along the lines of the temptations you face every day and that you fight with things that you know are true. So in conclusion, I've talked about two particular things for which Rochelle and I needed to see evidence for in order to to have that firm foundation to lean on to do the things that God required us to do. But you know, not everything is fundamental. Not every unseen thing do you need to dig into to the nth degree. Some things you believe because you know other things are true. And for instance, um, I don't understand how God can never change and he existed in eternity past. I don't understand how that happens to to eternity future. Uh, But I do know from my other investigation that he is God and that the New Testament is true and that he says these things and I can rely on that. However, I know there are some people who still struggle with fundamental things, whether it's the things that I already talked about or different things. And what I I really want to urge people to do today are, are three things in particular. Um, when you have these concerns, and, and you know the difference between a fundamental and a and a and a less important concern. The fundamental ones are the ones that tear at your soul. <laughs> that you can't move on until you resolve. That's what I'm talking about. What, what do you do with those? Well, I think, number one, you need to seek the evidence. That just falling back on trying to believe harder, the subjective belief, it's not going to provide that foundation that you need. You need to examine the evidence. And I think you need to push it to a culmination, a war. It's really easy to just pause, to put it out of your mind, to not deal with it, because it's hard, it's tearing you up. But you need to resolve it to go forward. And then finally, as I mentioned earlier, it's not necessarily that the evidence isn't right there in front of you, it's that you just can't see it. So we need to make sure to pray to God, please give us the, the eyes to see these things, right? We, we don't want to be blind anymore. So I think those are three important things. God wants you to have faith. God wants you to see the evidence. The faith is necessary. This this type of foundational faith is necessary to do the things that God requires us to do. You need a substructure. You need something to lean on when something's pressing on you. Otherwise, you'll fall down. So I just want to encourage you to not shirk from an examination of the evidence. God is able to stand up to your inspection. And he loves you. And he is trustworthy. And he will show you the evidence of things unseen and be your foundation for things hoped for. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those uh, in the 
um, in the congregation who are maybe struggling with these issues or other issues that they can't resolve, Father. And I pray that you do show them the evidence so that they can be settled, so that they can stand on their faith. Lord, we know that you don't want us to ask for things in doubt or be double-minded, but we need our eyes opened. So I just pray, Lord, that you open the eyes of people who may be struggling with this. Um, I thank you for opening my eyes to some of these things, and I pray that you open my eyes to more things. Father, I pray for boldness so that we don't shy away from these arguments with ourselves or with others, even unbelievers who do not understand this, Lord. This is so important. There is evidence. We do cling to a faith that is solid and not flimsy. So I I pray that you make our faith real and tangible and something we can lean on to do your work. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.